is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Critics Corner Podcast. Coming back at you with another college football episode, fresh off of Conference Championship Weekend. We had all of our, obviously, Conference Championship games, and also we have our college football playoff set. Alabama versus Cincy and Michigan versus Georgia coming up on December 31st, New Year's Eve. We also have a full slate of bowl games and a few new hires, coaching hires, coaching moves that I also want to talk about toward the end. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about in this episode. I'm going to start out with kind of the 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 highlight of the weekend, which was Alabama's dominant 40 one to 24 victory over Georgia in the SEC championship game on Saturday and you know it it was it was certainly dominant now I would say Georgia did go out to a 10 nothing lead people seem to kind of forget about that but Georgia did go up in this game early uh their defense was able to shut down Alabama for the first few drives of the game Alabama seemed to figure something out because after uh, Georgia went up 10-0. Alabama outscored Georgia 41-14 uh, after their after Georgia's early second quarter touchdown. And I, I really think this game simply came down to Georgia's inability to get any sort of pressure on Bryce Young. You know, we, we all we heard about heading into this game was that Georgia's defense is super elite. It's one of the best defenses in college football history, uh, you know, only averaging like seven points allowed per game or something like that. Um, and you know, a lot of people were predicting a, a Georgia, a Georgia route, including myself. I, I, I think I said in the last podcast, I was kind of expecting Georgia to blow Alabama out of the water. Um, and you know, that's just because Alabama had been so unimpressive against Auburn, even before that game, you know, LSU, um, the, the Ole Miss win, I guess the Ole Miss win was kind of impressive. The Arkansas win was less than impressive for Alabama. Like the, the Alabama team hadn't seemed to get it together on offense they hadn't seemed to get it clicking uh they did in this game you know and you know silly me why would i ever bet against nick saban the guy is the best college football coach of all time and i should have seen this coming um i didn't have any sort of wagers on this game i kind of wish i threw a little bit on alabama now uh hindsight is obviously 2020 but yeah alabama was they exposed this georgia defense they were able to um dominate in the trenches, which is always probably the most important part of the game. As I really do believe if, if Georgia was able to get any sort of pressure on Bryce Young, you know, and they didn't get a single sack in this game and it never really even felt like they had any hurries on, on Bryce Young. It seemed like he had all day, at least, you know, it felt like five seconds to throw the ball. And if you give Bryce Young that much time and the the offensive weapons that Alabama had, um, it's going to be exactly what that game was. Just they were slinging the ball all across the field. And Bryce Young really had a field day. Um, you know, John Mechie, who tore his ACL, it seems, is, and is going to be out for the season, which is a big loss for that Alabama offense. But he had six catches for 97 yards and a touchdown in the first half. So imagine if he played, you know, if he played the the second half, I think it would have, you know, he probably would have put up 200 yards or something. Um, Bryce Young went 26 for 44, 421 yards and three touchdowns. Also had a rushing touchdown in there as well. Uh, he he was impressive. I think I mentioned on the last on last week's podcast that if Bryce Young goes into the SEC championship game and carves up that elite Georgia defense, he is 
pretty much a lock to win the Heisman, and that's actually exactly what happened. So I think Bryce Young kind of has the the Heisman Trophy locked up heading into they're going to announce that next weekend. Um, so you know, shout out to Bryce Young had a great game. Um, Jamison Williams also for Alabama. Uh, their wide receiver had seven catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns. So he's kind of the main man for them, um, especially in that second half. He he was outstanding. Uh, Alabama, interestingly enough, did not really get the the run game going that well. Brian Robinson there was their leading rusher for only 55 yards. Team as a whole ran for 115 yards, so not bad. Um, but uh, certainly this game was won in the air and... Um, Alabama, another stat here was they were seven for fourteen on third down. So, like Georgia was getting them two third down. You know, fourteen third downs that's quite a lot, but they were converting at a at a fifty percent clip, which is pretty good. Um, if you, if you're Georgia, you, you got to get off the field. If you're on, if you know, if if you uh, get to third down, you you just got to get off the field, and they weren't able to do that. I think um, Stetson Bennett in this game was extremely disappointing. I honestly believe Georgia is not playing their best quarterback. I I think their best quarterback is JT Daniels, who's been on the bench basically all season for them. Uh, Stetson Bennett had two picks, and one was a pick six, and you're you're just not going to win. You're not going to mount a comeback against Alabama, especially if you're throwing you know a pick six. And I think that was like the third quarter. Uh, Georgia, you know, and obviously they're playing from behind the whole game, but only 109 rushing yards. Uh, Their offense, and you know, I, I noted. I, t- I think I tweeted this out at halftime. Like, this is the first time Georgia's offense, basically the entire season, was playing from behind. You could say that Clemson game, uh, they were close, but I think they were leading that game. Like, it, it finished 10-3. I think they were winning that game. They had that pick six against uh, in, in that Clemson game early. They were leading for most of that game. I, I think this was, obviously, it was the biggest deficit Georgia faced all year, but it was really the only time all year that this offense had any sort of pressure on it whatsoever. And I was interested to see like how they would respond, and you know, I was quite disappointed. Uh, really weren't able to move the ball that well against this Alabama defense, which has been, you know, I guess you could say not your stereotypical Alabama defense. Now Alabama's defense wasn't very good last year at all, and they still won the national championship. But um, you know, giving up 35 points to Arkansas, 24 to Tennessee is okay, but 30 or 41 to A&M, you know, like. This Alabama defense isn't amazing. Now, it's still a great defense, don't get me wrong, but I would have expected Georgia to move the ball a little bit better. Point is, when they had to, the, Georgia's offense just couldn't perform. You know, George Pickens, coming back from that ACL injury, hes I don't think he's 100%, but he only had two catches for 41 yards. Really, their only uh, offensive weapon was their freshman tight end, Brock Bowers, who had 10 catches for 139 yards and a touchdown. And really, the only reason he was getting open is because Alabama was playing, you know, two high safeties and he was just slipping open underneath uh, across the middle all game and Sensen Bennett just kept hitting him. Um, so that was, that was really the only offense Georgia could get going against this Alabama defense. And, you know, first time with any sort of pressure where they had to score if they wanted to win the game and they weren't able to get it done. Um, that was, I think, one another big takeaway from this game that I had. And, you know, we'll talk about the Georgia matchup against Michigan a little bit later, but interestingly enough, Alabama was a plus heading into this game. Alabama was a plus 800 
they had plus 800 odds to win the national title, and now they're the odds-on favorite at like plus 100. Uh, just shows you how much you know one game can do, and why you really should never bet against Nick Saban. I wish I hopped on those you know plus 800 odds heading into that game, and I guess you know they were so high because you know heading into this game, Georgia looks so elite, blah blah blah. But Alabama is Alabama, you know they're they're the the uh, standard in college football, and should never have doubted Nick Saban. And they're the odds-on favorite heading into the college football playoff. Uh, you know on Georgia's. Uh, on Georgia's side, you know, the narrative heading into this game, if Alabama were to have any chance, was the fact that Georgia hasn't really played anybody this year. Now, I would say, you know, that Clemson win after week one really got less impressive as the weeks gone went by, but Clemson still had a really good season, finishing out 9-3. and three. Uh, Other wins, I guess that 37 to nothing win over Arkansas was pretty impressive uh, when Arkansas was number eight in the country, fresh off a win against A&M. Outside of that, like Auburn, they handled Kentucky. They beat by 17 points. Like Florida, I guess they won 34-7, which is okay. The ten- holding Tennessee's offense to 17 points was impressive. Um, but outside of that, yeah, they've had a weak schedule, and Alabama exposed them. So it'll be interesting to see how Georgia responds hanging, heading into that Michigan game uh, in the Orange Bowl in Miami. But... Um, oh, and another thing, like I was watching the college football playoff announcement show, whatever, on Sunday, and Herbshoot was saying, you know, maybe Georgia was just not as motivated as as Alabama was to win this game because Alabama obviously were playing for their playoff lives, and Georgia really kind of knew they were going to be in the playoff anyways. I don't buy into that narrative at all. I mean, if anytime you have a chance to win an SEC championship, get a ring on your finger especially going up against, you know, your arch rivals, Alabama, you want to win that game. Uh, I don't think there was any sort of lack of motivation or anything on Georgia's side. I think they just got flat out beat. And yeah, they're going to have to respond against Michigan and potentially if they end up playing Alabama, which we're a long way away from. But if there is a rematch of this game, they got to come out and really, I think the key if they do play him again, is they got to get pressure on Bryce Young, which was it was just embarrassing that defensive line, and I think uh, they're gonna they're gonna certainly be disappointed that defensive line with their performance. So I expect them to come back guns a blazing in the next game and potentially the national title as well. So that's what I have to say about that game. Um, certainly an upset, I guess you could say, but it really shouldn't have been as surprising as some people are kind of saying it was. I mean, it is Alabama at the end of the day. Uh, next game was the early game, the Oklahoma State versus Baylor game. Baylor wins 21-16, coming up inches short, really, of making the playoff. Uh, They had, like, four chances at the goal line Oklahoma State did at the end of the game to win and couldn't get any of them in. Uh, And, you know, my main takeaway from this game is the fact that Oklahoma State even had a chance to win this game when their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, threw four interceptions is quite impressive. Um, they were certainly hurting not having Jalen Warren, their, their running back in the game at all. They kept talking about it in the broadcast, showing him like every freaking five plays. They were talking about how Jalen Warren isn't playing in this game. Um, that was a huge loss for them. Oklahoma State only ran for 70 yards. But, you know, really Oklahoma State should have won this game. They shut out Baylor in the second half. Baylor's quarterback, freshman backup, Blake uh, Shapin, he looked injured. 
they Baylor couldn't move the football at all in the second half, and Oklahoma State really wasn't able to. Well, obviously, in the end, they weren't able to take advantage of it. But uh, Oklahoma State should have won this game, and you know the, the fact that they were a yard away, inches away from winning the game with four interceptions is quite impressive. Now, a few of those were like deflected passes, batted in the air, uh, intercepted by Baylor. But still, um, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're kicking yourself right now because you really you could have made the playoff had you won this game. Now, that would have been an interesting debate. You know, Cincinnati versus Oklahoma State, the Big 12 champion, 12-1 and versus the 13-0 and Cincinnati Bearcats AAC champions. If they had put Oklahoma State in over Cincy, there could have been riots. Uh, and then, you know, it, it would have been the whole, well, a power six or a group of six teams never going to make it, blah, blah, blah. So, you, and, you know, come Sunday, there really wasn't any debate on who the four teams were going to be. And that tends to be the case every year. Seems like every season it kind of plays itself out. You know, we argue and debate over this for, you know, basically the whole month of November. And ultimately, it ends up playing itself out, which it ultimately did again this season. So I'm kind of glad that Oklahoma State lost because I really don't feel like their playoff quality anyways. If you look at their schedule, they don't have many impressive wins except that OU win, which really if Oklahoma fields the punt uh, there at the end, they probably win that game. I think Oklahoma State would have gotten curb stomped versus Alabama. I actually think Cincinnati has a better chance against Alabama than Oklahoma State does. But again, we'll get into that discussion a little bit later. Um, But yeah, disappointing loss if you're an Oklahoma State fan. Cool to see a Baylor team bounce back after losing Matt Rule to ultimately win the Big 12 championship. Now, I thought it was kind of interesting how in the playoff announcement show yesterday, they had reporters at you know all the top four teams that eventually did make it. And then also they had a reporter in Notre Dame who really had no chance and Baylor who had absolutely no chance to even make it. Why send someone out there? Like she, she basically was reporting live from Waco and said, yeah, their team's not meeting today. Uh, they're off. The coach is off recruiting. They didn't even talk about the playoff after the game because they know they had no chance to make it. Why, why bother ESPN sending a reporter there? Uh, that was just really to fill TV time, I guess you could say, because the, the show went from 12 noon to 4 p.m. Like they were talking about college football and the playoff really for four hours. Now at the end they did, they announced the other uh, New Year's Six Bowls and I think they talked a little bit about some of the other bowl games that have been announced. But like to have that show be four hours long was a little bit absurd and no reason to have a reporter in Waco, Texas after uh, you know Baylor won the Big Twelve because they had no chance at making the playoff with two losses. But nonetheless, impressive win for them. Um, I mean, they're playing Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. That should be a fun game, uh, which I'll talk a little bit about later. But, yeah, that's that's really my thoughts from the Big 12. And then the nightcap, the only other game with any sort of playoff implications was the Michigan game. A lot of people were telling me, you know, Iowa plus 12. I don't see how Michigan blows out this Iowa team with um, – you know, Iowa's got a really good defense, lead the leagues in interception or leads the nation in interceptions and all that. How is Michigan going to move the football? Yeah, well, Michigan shut them up pretty quickly. Now, this game was only 14 to 3 at halftime, so, and it was like 21 3 heading into the fourth quarter, but um, it really never felt that close just with Iowa's offense. They, they could not move the football. They even made a quarterback change um, in like the third quarter, moving from Petrus, from Petrus to uh, Padilla, I, th- I think the guy's name was Padilla. 
Um, but never felt like Iowa had any chance in that game. The Michigan uh, ran some trickery there at the beginning. Well, I would say, had Iowa scored on that first possession where they really just drove the... Michigan got the ball first, quick three and out, punted to Iowa, who drives the ball right down the field, down to like the Michigan 20-yard line or something like that. They had that one play, I think it was like a running back throw, had the guy wide open in the end zone, overthrew him, incomplete pass. Could have been 7 nothing right there to start the game. Iowa could have made a statement early, but throws, throws it long, and then they end up missing like a 34-yard field goal. Michigan proceeds to uh, drive down the field, break Blake Corum's 67-yard touchdown run. That's like, well, that was that was a big swing for Iowa. Um, they really, I think if they went ahead early, they could have had a chance in this game. But uh, yeah, they didn't. Michigan went up 14-0 in the first. Uh, that Donovan Edwards pass to Roman Wilson was absolutely beautiful. 75-yard touchdown pass. Donovan Edwards, by the way, uh, Michigan's third string freshman running back. Now he was like a four or five star, one of the top running backs in the country. He's been great for us this year, uh, but I didn't know he could throw the ball like that. That was impressive. Uh, he could be our QB three. Who knows if JJ and Cade go down, we might see Donovan Edwards play quarterback. Um, but yeah, I, I guess Iowa, you could say they did a good job holding Michigan, but especially in that first half, but they never could get anything going on offense. They did move the ball into Michigan territory quite a lot, but you know, five and nineteen on third down—that's not going to cut it. Ove one on on fourth down, only threw for 175 passing yards in a game where they were trailing by double digits basically the entire game. That's that's pathetic. Um, Michigan, like they did a good job holding Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, you know, he only only air quotes only had one sack. Um, they did a good job of holding him and kind of containing him but it felt like they had a clean pocket too like we weren't really getting a ton of pressure on their quarterbacks uh we only had one sack like i said uh but yeah that off that iowa offense is just atrocious and michigan really i guess you could say really ran away with the game in the fourth quarter where we scored three touchdowns ended up winning 42 to three dominant dominant victory um and michigan first big 10 championship since 2004 left no doubt um, heading into Sunday's college football playoff announcement show. And, you know, that's all I'll say about the Michigan game. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch that, a lot of fun to watch Michigan win its first Big Ten championship, like I said, since 2004. Um, I, I Everything for me as a Michigan fan after this game is just icing on the cake. You know, Georgia's going to be a tough matchup. I'm not going to be super mad if we lose um if we win obviously that i'll be absolutely elated but i can't ask for more from from this michigan team this year you know um heading into the season projected to go like seven and five eight and four i think there was like a zero there's like a 0.1 percent chance of us winning the big 10 like a six percent chance of michigan winning the big 10 east obviously like no chance of us making the college football playoff some guy actually i noticed or i saw a tweet he bet at the beginning of the year in August, he bet like $2,500 on Michigan to to make the college football playoff. And obviously, if you go through and read the, the replies to that tweet, it's like, you know, donation money, burning money on fire, lighting money on fire, like no chance this hits, blah, blah, blah. Dude won like $84,000 off that bet. Now, I would say not even the most optimistic and even delusional Michigan fan heading into the season would have predicted us to make the playoff. 
So the only only thing I can really think of is this guy's a time traveler or, uh, you know, I, that's the only thing I can like no one, no college football fan, no, nobody, not even the most optimistic, optimistic Michigan fan would have predicted this. So there's nothing more I can ever ask for from this Michigan team this year. Now, I will say, I think this Michigan team is going to head into this Georgia game with a a chip on their shoulder, kind of how they've approached this entire season, because everyone is going to be predicting Georgia to win this game. They're seven and a half point favorites, you know, all that SEC bias, Georgia's going to come back, you know, chip on their shoulder coming off that loss against Alabama. They're going to come guns a blazing, blah, blah. Michigan is better like as a Michigan fan perspective, it's better when no one counts us or no one gives us a chance when we're underdogs, when everyone's writing us off. Because in the in the previous years, you know, when we've started out in the AP top ten, top five, whatever, it's always been kind of disappointing seasons. Whereas this year, where we're unranked in the preseason, no one's giving us the time of day, no one's giving us a chance whatsoever. Go twelve and one, really could have been thirteen and zero. If a couple calls go our way in that Michigan State game, and now we're in the playoff, and we're still heading into this Georgia game as big underdogs, like I would much rather it be that way than people hyping up Michigan, where in the past we've never been able to, uh, you know, live up to those lofty expectations. So, um, yeah, just a lot of fun. Uh, great to see Michigan finally get on top of the Big Ten, and so many pressed Michigan State and Ohio State, Penn State fans. I love to see it. You know, they're so mad because obviously they hate Michigan, and it's just fun to finally have uh, the upper hand on those guys. Even if it's just this year, don't care. Um, Michigan finally Big Ten champions. Feels great. And then, yeah, so then heading into Sunday, you know, everyone was kind of saying, well, we knew the top four. It was just a matter of the order. And the consensus seemed to be that the committee isn't going to want to see an immediate Georgia versus Alabama rematch in the semifinals. And, you know, from a Michigan fan's perspective, you know, from what I've heard on like Twitter, you know, some of the the beat writers and uh, even like Charles Woodson, a lot of lobbying for Michigan to be the number one seed over Alabama and then it would have been a matter of who do you put at four. I would have argued like had Michigan been one, they would have put Georgia at four. And or and we ended up being two and they had Georgia at three. So like I, my argument was like either way, they're going to play us against Georgia. It doesn't really matter if we're one or uh, two. We're going to play Georgia regardless because the committee does not want to see that SEC rematch right away. And sure enough, that was the case. Now... Had I done the rankings, you know, trying to remove total bias, I would have had Michigan one. No, actually, you know what? No, I wouldn't have had Michigan one. The more I think about it, I probably would have had Alabama one because they had the they had the best win in the country. They dominated for four well for three quarters. The the Georgia defense that everyone had you know heading into that game was saying is one of the best defenses of all time. NFL level defense, blah blah blah. Alabama ran up and down the the field, uh, all over that defense. So I think they deserve to be number one, despite them maybe disappointing in the regular season against LSU, against Arkansas, against Auburn. Um, I would have had Bama one, Michigan two, 
And I think I would have put Cincinnati at number three. You know, 13-0. They have that that win at Notre Dame, who's number number five. Uh, they have that win at Notre Dame, who the committee clearly views in a high high with high respect. That's better than any win Georgia has by quite a lot. So I would have put Cincy three, and I would have had Georgia at four. Now that would have been an interesting debate had Oklahoma State won that game. Do you put Oklahoma State in over a Georgia? Um, I don't. I don't think the committee would have done that. I think they would have put Georgia in anyways. So uh, I don't know if like it's a TV ratings thing or why, but uh, the committee's always gonna uh, bias toward SEC, and they they want. Um, it seems like they want an all SEC national championship game. Now one of the announcers or. Um, analyst excuse me in the playoff show can't remember who it was i'm sorry but he said he wouldn't be surprised if we see a cincinnati versus michigan national championship now i don't know if i go that far but i think since both cincinnati and michigan can give georgia and alabama better games than a lot of people are giving them credit for like heading into this cotton bowl game uh it's gonna be the early game it starts at like three o'clock eastern time alabama's a 14 point favorite over cincinnati over-under is uh, 58 in that game. No one, no one's giving Cincinnati a chance. Now, my one argument for this is give Nick Saban basically three weeks or whatever to prepare. Like, that's tough for Cincinnati. Now, if this was, you know, Alabama only had like a week to prepare for this game, maybe the story's a little bit different. But the Cincinnati team, they're tough. They're physical. Uh, they, they, I, I just think, you know, they got a really good court. They got a better quarterback than Georgia does. I I would take Desmond Ritter over, uh, Stetson Bennett pretty much any day of the week. Desmond Ritter is an NFL quarterback in my opinion. And Stetson Bennett is absolutely not. Uh, now obviously this game is going to come down to, uh, can Cincinnati's defense, which, you know, just gave up like 20 points to Houston. Let me look up their schedule just to see exactly but like Cincinnati or Houston was in that game in the first half and Cincinnati just pulled away uh in the second which was definitely impressive they shut down Houston totally in that second half yeah they they gave up 20 points in that game they won 35 20 um that was actually so the most points uh since he's given up all season is 28 to USF that USF game was actually USF's an atrocious team and since he only won 45-28. But they did hold uh, Notre Dame to 13 points. That's really the only good team they've played all season. A lot of people in Houston. But um, I saw someone like cite the Indiana game as a good win for Cincinnati. Indiana went 2-10. and 10. They were atrocious this season. And Indiana was in that game uh, in the first half into the third quarter. Uh, Cincinnati ended up winning by two touchdowns, 38-24. This game is going to come down to can Cincinnati, in any respect, hold Alabama's offense in check? Because, you know, losing Mechie from an Alabama perspective is definitely a big loss. I think they can certainly, you know, overcome that against Cincinnati. It's really going to be the national championship game where they might feel that a little bit more. But, like, I, I expect Alabama to run the ball for probably 150 yards, 200 yards, throw the ball all over Cincinnati. Can, can they, and, and you know, can, yeah, can they limit Alabama? And then they, they got to do something on offense. I think Cincinnati's offense is certainly their their uh, their strong point. You know, Ford, their running back, ran for almost 200 yards against Houston. 
on Saturday, can they get can that O line get any sort of push against you know it's Alabama it's it's a it's a it's going to be an interesting like can a group of or uh, yeah a group of five team compete on a talent level with an SEC national champion level team you know it's Alabama full of five four or five stars whatever against Cincinnati the underdog it's an underdog story you know. And I have a lot of Memphis fans in my life, obviously being from Memphis. And a lot of them thought it was like 2018, that 2018 team, that they had a chance had they made the playoff uh, to maybe, you know, give whoever a tough game. There's a lot of people out there that like fully believe that the American is on par with these college football, uh, with these SEC teams. Now, we'll see. You know, we've seen like Cincinnati last year. I think they won that game against Georgia. No, they didn't win, but they... They gave uh, Georgia a good game and whatever New York Six Bowl they were in. Uh, we saw Memphis give Penn State a good game. The only team to actually win, I think, was UCF when they beat LSU. Or was it uh, Auburn or one, whatever the year they went undefeated and claimed a national championship? Um, can Cincy, probably the best group of five team we've had. Maybe maybe you could make the argument that UCF team was better. I would say this Cincinnati team is more complete. They have a better quarterback, Desmond Ritter. Um, can they compete on a talent level with Alabama? Like Either this game's going to be close or Alabama's going to win by 30 points. Um, I, I would obviously rather see a good game, and I'd rather see Cincinnati win the game. I don't think they will. I think they might cover. Uh, this game could get ugly, and that's the reason why they put it first. So um, we'll see. Uh, excited for it, obviously, but anytime you give Nick Saban three weeks to prepare, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Cincinnati. Uh, but I do give them a lot of credit for running the table and giving the committee no chance or no um, no no decision but to put them in the playoff. And you know, I, I think if they if Oklahoma State won, they that the committee very well could have put. Oklahoma State over in over Cincinnati because it really felt like all season long the committee did not want to put Cincy in but they ended up having basically having no other choice but to put them in so you know Cincinnati got lucky a lot of things went their way this season uh, which was good you know it was one of the more chaotic college football seasons we've had in a while some of the top teams losing like you know Clemson being a nine and three football team Ohio State losing to uh, Michigan at the end of the season Oklahoma another you know, playoff stalwart losing twice. Uh, it was finally good to see a little bit of parity in this season. Now we could end up with another Georgia versus Alabama play, uh, national championship game, but it's good to see two new teams in the playoff, no doubt. The next game on New Year's Eve is obviously the Michigan versus Georgia game, the Orange Bowl in Miami. Uh, Georgia is a seven and a half point favorite. The over under right now is 43 and a half. And we're already. As a Michigan fan, from a Michigan fan perspective, we're already hearing how Michigan has no chances in this game. A lot of SEC fans are already looking ahead to an Alabama versus Georgia rematch. Georgia's going to be furious after that Alabama loss. They're going to come out and curb stomp Michigan. Even Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State fans are already saying, you know, Georgia's going to win by 50, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Now, um,. I would say this Michigan offensive line is better than Alabama's. So Michigan is going to be able to run the ball better than even Alabama did against Georgia. I, you know, I, th- I would make the argument that Michigan has the best offensive line in the country. Michigan's playing their best football. 
right now. Georgia is certainly not coming off that loss to Alabama. Now it's gonna come down. I, it's gonna come down to Cade McNamara because while Michigan, yes, will be able to run the football, Cade is still gonna have to make some plays. I don't think Michigan. Well, I know Michigan does not have the weapons that Alabama does on offense, and Cade is Cade is not as good of a quarterback as Bryce Young is, but Cade is a great game manager. He makes the throws that he has to. He makes the decisions that he has to. And we also have J.J. McCarthy coming off the bench, who is certainly a better thrower than Cade McNamara. I think we could we could see a heavy dose of J.J. McCarthy in this game, running some RPOs, giving him a couple passes. Um, he, he's got a great arm. Michigan is going to have to expose this Georgia secondary again. Again, being like the way Alabama did. Now, they're not going to be able to run up the floor or run up the uh, field, run up and down the field like uh, like Alabama did. But we're going to need to see a good dose of, you know, getting some sort of running game going, right? Because if Georgia completely shuts down the Michigan run game, Michigan has no chance in this game because their guys aren't just going to... Michigan's not going to be able to throw the ball up and down the field. Michigan has to establish some sort of run game. Now, it doesn't have to be the way we ran the ball against Ohio State. It has to be runs for three or four yards on first down, right? Getting into third and manageable, not third and long. We, we want to avoid clear passing downs, right? And JJ or Cade's going to have to make the throws that he has, frankly, all season, right? Can't, if Michigan can do that, they'll be in this game. And to be quite honest, Georgia's offense does not scare me at all. Michigan's faced the best offense in the, in the country in Ohio State, right? Only gave up 27 points in that game. We held two NFL, really three NFL receivers, we held them in check, relatively so. I think uh, Smith Najigba, I don't think he's draft eligible this year, but he will be an NFL receiver whenever he's eligible. Alave and Wilson are going to be first-round picks this season, right? Ohio State has a much, much, much better offense than um, Georgia does. Georgia's offense does not scare me at all. Stetson Bennett, uh, Stetson Bennett's like the fifth-best quarterback Michigan's faced all season, Right? I mean, I'd take, obviously you take Stroud over him. You take uh, Michigan State's quarterback over him. You take um, Penn State's quarterback over, what's that guy's name? Jesus. Sam Clifford, take him. Uh, Now, okay, maybe, well, let me, I can, let me double check because I want to make sure that I don't get this wrong. Let's go through uh, Michigan's, the quarterbacks we've faced this year, right? Iowa, no, their quarterback sucks. Ohio State, yes. CJ Stroud. You're taking Tiger Vailoa at Maryland over Stetson Bennett? No. Sam Clifford at Penn State, yes. Uh, what's his face at Michigan State? Probably yes. Martinez at Nebraska? Maybe. Maybe. Okay, so maybe like three or four quarterbacks. Outside of that, no. But the point is, Stetson Bennett does not scare me at all, right? Maybe George Pickens. That are a star wide receiver. Maybe he gets some more time to let his knee heal. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of him in this game. But Georgia's going to have to run the football to beat Michigan, right? Because we know Aiden Hutchinson is a freaking monster. We also have David. The funny thing is, SEC and Georgia fans are completely writing off this Michigan defense. They're like, yeah, all they got to do is shut down and double team Aiden Hutchinson, right? Well, they forget that we have David Ajabo. We have Josh Ross actually played really well against Iowa, and I love the adjustment that we made on that bootleg play that 
really was the only thing that Iowa offense had going in the first half. Mike McDonald, great freaking hire. Jim Harbaugh went to John Harbaugh, his uh, obviously his brother at the Ravens, asked him, who should I hire at defensive coordinator? Gave him Mike McDonald, the linebackers coach from the Ravens. Been a great addition, a significant up- upgrade from Don Brown, right? You, the more NFL guys in the room, the better. And Mike McDonald is an NFL guy coaching in college right now. He, he finally makes some adjustments, right? So I, I think they're going to come in with a great game plan to limit this Georgia offense. I actually think Michigan can do a better job against uh, Georgia off like defensively than Alabama did, right? Alabama gave up um, 24 points to Georgia's offense. I could see Michigan holding Georgia to under 20 points. I think this game is a big under 43 and a half. This game could end up being like 17, seven. Um, so yeah, if, if really, if Michigan can move the ball and establish that run game, the ground and pound, right? That offensive line has to play great. Hopefully everyone stays healthy heading into that game. Why not Michigan, right? I think seven and a half, seven and a half is too big of a spread. But I love the fact that no one is giving Michigan any sort of chance whatsoever again. it's Michigan's much better as an underdog uh, heading into this game. So, And another note, Michigan back in like, what year was that? I think in the 2016 season, we played in the Orange Bowl, right? So there's a few guys on this team. Harbaugh's been in this game before. Uh, maybe a few guys on this team, I don't know, maybe they were freshmen at the time, had been in this game before. Like Michigan knows what it's like playing in Miami, right? So... While no one's giving Michigan a chance, I think if the, I keep saying it, but if Michigan establishes the run game, has makes Georgia honor their passing game, they can win this game outright. It's just a matter of like Michigan has to have everything go right because I, I still think Georgia is the better football team, and I think they're going to come off of that loss against Alabama. They're going to be enraged right obviously they're going to come out playing hard they're not going to overlook michigan there's no way they're going to be you know maybe heading into that sec championship game they weren't really exposed to any sort of flaws that they have now they're going to be aware of those flaws right And they're going to address their issues that they did that they had against alabama and they're going to make those adjustments for the michigan game but just don't overlook michigan is all i'll say i I think you know kirby smart while he is a great coach i think jim harbaugh is a, a better coach uh, I think Michigan has the better coordinators. Josh Gaddis had a great game plan against Iowa. Uh, Mike McDonald, like I said, the defensive coordinator is, you know, not elite or anything, but he's made some great uh, adjustments and had some great game plans this season. You know, Michigan stopped what everyone was saying heading into that game was the best offense in the country in Ohio State, right? Georgia is nowhere near on that same level. Uh, so, I think Michigan has a chance in this game, and I'm really excited for it. It's on New Year's Eve, like 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But either way, I keep saying it, Michigan has had the best season in my lifetime, so I can't complain if we lose this game. Uh, Big Ten Championship and a win over Ohio State is all Michigan fans have been asking for for years and years and years. So it feels so good to finally get over that hump. So I, I can't be mad if we lose this game, but it would be nice to shut up uh, SEC fans just a little bit. Uh, just, you know, give them a, a, a piece of humble pie, I guess. Because a lot of people down South don't acknowledge the fact that football is played outside of the SEC. Um, so hopefully Michigan can maybe surprise some people in that game. Other games to look forward. Other games were announced uh, yesterday, and we'll talk a little bit here about the New York Six Bowls. 
the first one is the Rose Bowl. That's going to be an interesting game. Ohio State is a six and a half point favorite against Utah. Over under is 67. That's a lot of points. Uh, Ohio State heading off or coming off that loss to Michigan in the the big game. Uh, you know, Ohio State's won last the each of their last three Rose Bowl appearances, right? Utah coming off two dominant wins over what everyone thought was an, a, a playoff contender in Oregon. Utah just embarrassed them twice, completely embarrassed them twice. Now, Utah, sneaky good college football program. This is their ninth uh, BCS or New Year's Six Bowl appearance. They've won the last two of them. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to give Utah any credit in this game. Now, the line's only six and a half, I think, because we might not see Olave and Wilson play I expect them to play. I think Kirk Herbstreet, the Ohio State graduate, said that he expects them to play in this game. And why not? You know, it's the Rose Bowl. Um, it's the most iconic game in all of college football, right? I think Utah can keep this game a little bit closer than the experts may predict. But I ultimately expect Ohio State to win. But this would be a fun game to watch, nonetheless. Utah is a physical team, a tough team. Like I said, absolutely boat raced Oregon twice. Just out physical to Oregon. Really embarrassed them. Uh, twice. So I expect Ohio State to win, but could be a little bit closer than the experts expect. Uh, I, I see an under 67 in this game, though. I don't see that many points being scored. 67 is quite a lot. Next game is the Sugar Bowl. Baylor is a one-point favorite over Ole Miss, over under 52. I'm, I'm really not sure why Baylor's favorite in this game. I think Ole Miss is one of the more underrated teams in the nation, despite being ranked like seventh or eighth in the country. Um, Matt Corral, in my opinion, is probably going to be now the quarter, second quarterback picked in the draft behind Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh. He had a great game in the ACC championship, but I think Ole Miss is the better football team here. Uh, you know, only two losses coming to Alabama, who's the number one team in the country, and then the Auburn loss was kind of ugly, so I get that. But you know, they haven't lost since like mid-October. Uh, Lane Kiffin just signed an extension through 2025. A lot of people expected him to go elsewhere, uh, but he stayed in Ole Miss. Through he will be there through 2025 unless you know he gets bought out or whatever. He's making seven million annually in that contract. By the way, that's a lot of money. But I guess maybe the line is one in favor of Baylor because there's some question marks around if Matt Corral will play. And you know, obviously. In every bowl game besides the playoff games, there it ultimately comes down to, you know, who is playing in the game. A lot of people opt out uh, for the draft and just decide to prepare for, you know, the combine and all that. So uh, it, it's probably not a good idea to bet on these games now, but wait until we hear, you know, who's not playing and who is playing. But I, I still think Ole Miss is a better football team here now. Again, that might be a little bit of SEC bias coming in. But, you know, Baylor, they hadn't had a ranked win until Saturday against Oklahoma State. And they scored zero points in the second half, and their backup quarterback looked injured. Now, if they get their starter back, maybe they have more of a chance. But uh, I still lean Ole Miss in this game, and I also lean over 52 as well. The Fiesta Bowl should be quite a fun one as well. Notre Dame, one-point favorite. First game under the new head coach, Marcus Freeman, following the departure of Brian Kelly. They are playing Oklahoma State over under 45 and a half. That's a low total. Um, that's like an NFL level total right there. Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is 0-7 in BCS and New Year's Six Bowls since 1998, and they've lost by an average of 23 points per game. So 
obviously those blots and the college football playoff. Also had that one year where I think they were undefeated heading into the national championship against Alabama and then got absolutely boat raced. That was the game where Brent Mossberger had those weird comments about, I think it was A.J. McCarron's wife, um, if anyone remembers that. That was a while ago now, but that was uncomfortable. I think that was like Musburger's last game as an announcer. Uh, but yeah, expect I expect Notre Dame to win this game. They seem to really be rallying around uh, Marcus Freeman, which everyone seems to agree is a great hire. Um, and Oklahoma State, you know, fresh off that loss to Baylor, how motivated will they, will they be? You know, that comes down to, or bowls often come down to who's more motivated as well. Uh, that seems to be a common theme over the years, which is another reason why bowl games are really hard to bet on. In addition to, you know, we don't know who's playing, but I would lean Notre Dame in this game. I think they're going to have all their guys. Obviously, they lost Brian Kelly, which was another disgraceful departure um, in addition to like that, the way Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, Brian Kelly just totally snaked um, Notre Dame as well. And like, I don't know if any of you saw that video, but he was like basically faking a Southern accent in his introductory like speech he did at the LSU basketball game. Apparently, Brian Kelly is like a uh, a bad guy. There's if you just look up Brian Kelly and on the internet there's a lot of bad stories about him in his like central michigan days his notre dame days his cincinnati days like he might not be the best guy so uh, we'll see how he does at lsu um it's it, everyone is saying like it is a weird fit and it is it is like brian kelly coming from notre dame to lsu totally different culture we'll see how he adapts but anyway in, in this festival i lean notre dame um, and I think another reason we see this line only at one is because we don't know who's playing. Uh, the final New Year's Six Bowl is Pitt versus, or it's the Peach Bowl. Pitt, three and a half points favorites over Michigan State. Over under is 63 and a half. Hammer the over. Kenny Pickett's going to throw for 400 yards. Michigan State has the worst secondary in the country, quite literally. And Pitt's defense isn't all that great itself. Now, they did hold Wake Forest, a pretty potent Wake Forest offense, like 21 points in that ACC championship game. They were quite impressive. I was on Pitt in that game, so um, won some money off that. Michigan State, I believe it is their, well, their first New Year's Six Bowl appearance under Mel Tucker. They just re-signed him to a 10-year deal. Uh, you know, a lot of speculation. He might be the guy for the LSU job, whatever. He ended up staying at Michigan State, which from a Michigan fan perspective is nerve-wracking because you know he, is a, he seems to be a great coach now. If there's like no buyout or something like he's locked into that contract for like 10 years so if like you know if he proves to not be that great michigan state's kind of stuck with him um so we'll see how that plays out but uh michigan state's won six of his last eight bowl games this is pitt's first new year six bowl appearance since 2004 i guess this this game comes down to will kenny pickett play because he is expected to be the first quarterback taken in the draft in april um this line seems to reflect the fact that they expect Pitts, uh, Pickett to play three and a half in Pitt's favor. I would lean Michigan State to cover that, actually. Uh, I think Michigan State's a better football team. Big Ten as a whole is a better conference. Uh, Michigan State, obviously a terrible showing against OSU. So maybe Vegas expects Pickett to throw the ball all over Michigan State, which is fair. Um, but I think Michigan State could give them a good game. They might, they might win this. But uh, who really cares? Because... This is probably the worst near six bowl out of the out of the bunch, but uh, it's still you know football. Football is football. Can't complain. 
but I would lean Michigan State in that game. Some other some other quick bowl games to look out for that I that I wrote down here. Uh, the Frisco Bowl, December twenty first, UTSA twelve and one versus San Diego State, number twenty four, eleven and two. UTSA basically coming off really a dream season. Could have been thirteen and zero, but uh, won the what are they in the Sun Belt? I think. I think they're in the Sun Belt. No, they're in the Conference USA. They just won their conference championship. San Diego State just lost their conference championship. Brady Hoke, former Michigan coach, leading SDSU. Could be a fun one to watch. Uh, the Gasparilla Bowl on December 23rd. Only reason I have this one is because UCF, Central Florida, is playing Florida. Billy Napier, I think, is going to be coaching this game. Not positive. Uh, the new Florida coach. Florida, disappointing season at 6-6. Six and six. You know UCF's going to want to win this game and have bragging rights over Florida. Um, Florida has been very disappointing as a program, really since Tebow left. Uh, haven't haven't made the playoff, haven't won the SEC in quite a while. So, can they beat their you know group group of five rivals in UCF? We'll see. In the Gasparilla Bowl, December 29th, I just have every game down. Uh, this this is gonna be a fun day, December 29th. Tune in. The Fenway Bowl in Fenway Park, SMU versus Virginia. The Pinstripe Bowl in Yankee Stadium, Maryland versus Virginia Tech. Don't really care about the games themselves. It'll just be cool to see what football looks like in Fenway Park. And then obviously we have the Pinstripe Bowl every year. It's always a good one to watch. You have the Cheez-It Bowl, which always seems to be a fun one. Uh, we have Clemson versus Iowa State. Will Clemson be motivated at all? You know, basically being in the college football playoff every single season. They are now in the Cheez-It Bowl against probably this year's most disappointing team. Preseason top 15 team in Iowa State. Ended up going 7-5. and five. Uh, so that is kind of the the bowl of disappointing seasons uh, and what better way to have it than in the cheese it bowl and then you also have the alamo bowl that night oregon versus oklahoma the bowl game of coaches that left uh, mario cristobal and lincoln riley are gone from their respective schools and we will have oregon versus oklahoma with no true head coach so that'll be well i guess brent venables just got hired for oklahoma i doubt he's going to be coaching this game i'm not sure and then the final one that I have written down is the Duke's Mayo Bowl, December 30th, 6-6 six and six North Carolina versus 6-6 six six South Carolina. Basically the battle of which Carolina is better, North or South. You know, traditionally I would have like the um, Outback Bowl or the Citrus Bowl, like those classic New Year's Day games in. But the Outback Bowl this year is Penn State 7-5. They kind of stink versus Arkansas. Eight and four. I expect Arkansas to boat race Penn State in that game, and then you also have Iowa versus Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl. That game just does not interest me whatsoever. I have no interest in watching Iowa football. Obviously, I guess I want the Big Ten to win, but I, I just don't care about that game at all. And finally, to wrap up the podcast, we have a couple new coaching moves that just got announced. Uh, this, I guess, like yesterday on Sunday, Mario Cristobal from Oregon to Miami. Now that's an interesting one. Obviously, Mario Cristobal is a Miami guy. He was born in Miami, played his college football at Miami. He started his coaching career at Miami as a graduate assistant, came back a little bit later to coach tight ends and offensive line. He then left to be the the head coach at FIU for a few years, but he's been at Oregon since 2018. His record as a head coach is only 62 and 60, like he won the Pac-12 twice, uh, 
won the Sun Belt once when he was at FIU. Outside of that, like, I don't think this is necessarily a home run hire for Miami. Now, it's great for them to to get, like, I guess their local guy, a guy, a Miami guy through and through, right? Seems like this was his dream job uh, all the way. And he's definitely going to be better than Manny Diaz and Mark Rick were. Like, this is the best hire they've had in, in a while. But I don't think this is, like, necessarily the hire that's going to put them over the edge. Just because Mario Cristobal was kind of disappointing at Oregon, right? Um, especially this season. It, I just can't get those two losses to or, uh, to Utah out of my head. Right? They were completely out physical and dominated. Basically up, basically for eight quarters against Utah, right? Can he bring a physical brand of football back to Miami is the question mark there. Uh, the ACC is certainly up for grabs. Uh, you know, we saw this year Clemson had a big down year. They just lost Brent Venables, which I'll talk about now or in a minute. Um, they just lost him to Oklahoma. Maybe Clemson's on the downswing. They've had a few decommits, right? Uh, maybe maybe Clemson's run is over. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the ACC is open. Obviously, this year it was completely open, right? Pitt ended up winning. So he has a chance in Miami. He has to recruit the state of Florida. It'll be interesting. Billy Napier versus Mario Cristobal in recruiting now, uh, Florida and Miami. And then also you got Florida State, uh, the former Memphis coach, Mike Norvell there. I would give the upper hand to ultimately Billy Napier at Florida just because it's the best job. It's the best school to go play football in Florida. But, uh, yeah, I'm undecided on this hire. I give it a C plus, B minus. I don't, like, necessarily, like I said, think Miami's going to go on to make playoffs and win national titles because of this. Could be more of the same for, for Miami. And, like, Chris Ball could end up being, like, an OC somewhere after this after this job. Or it could go really well. I don't know. My gut says going to be more of the same for Miami heading forward. And the other hire that... We had the, the yesterday was Manny, or sorry, uh, Brent Venables to Oklahoma. Now that's an interesting hire for me. I think it was kind of leaked out a few weeks ago. There was a picture of Venables is like brother or son, excuse me, with uh, Clemson's quarterback DJ. I'm not even going to say his last name. Doing the horns down picture uh, in a, in a Snapchat or something. So. Like this was kind of a rumor to happen a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, he's going to Oklahoma. Interesting hire for me, just because Brent Venables has never been a head coach, right? He's always been a defensive guy. Ever since he became a coach, he played at Kansas State for two years in college. He's been at Clemson since 2012, right? He was at Oklahoma from '99 to 2011 as a co-DC and like linebackers coach, associate head coach. He's back to he's back to Oklahoma. He's a certainly a defensive mind. He's obviously never been a head coach, but he Clemson had one of the best defenses in the country this year. Even though even though they had a down year, they had a great defense, right? So, you know, this is probably a good hire for Oklahoma, looking on the fact that they're going to the SEC and they're going to need to get that defense significantly boost that defense heading into the heading into the SEC. They can't have you know the classic. Uh, Big 12 atrocious defense that they've had in the past, right? So they'll certainly get their defense sorted out, but it's a matter of can he coach offense? We've never seen him coach offense. Um, I'm sure he's going to bring in an elite offensive coordinator to kind of handle that, and he might necessarily he might be more on the uh, defensive side. But 
you know, I've always kind of wondered this is like, even at the NFL level, right. You see like coaches like Vic Fangio, right. Go from, you know, being the defensive coordinator in Chicago when the bears had one of the best defenses in the, in the league. And then he goes to the Broncos and like, yeah, they're good defensively, but they suck offensively. So can Venables coach the offensive side of the ball? That remains to be seen, but I, I would say, good hire for them to get their defensive defense sorted out heading into the, uh, to the sec i'd give it a c plus b minus as well i'm not too high on these hires uh that seems to be the theme for me you know with brian kelly lincoln riley cristobal and venables haven't been like super high on the hires i think the best one out of all of them is well i guess lincoln riley just because they'll dominate the pac-12 but I, I like the brian kelly hire um as well i think they can compete in the sec but in terms of Venables and Cristobal, eh, I'm kind of indifferent on it. Uh, what remains to be seen, you know, can Venables keep Oklahoma relevant in the SEC? Can Cristobal bring Miami uh, back to relevance? We haven't seen them be relevant in forever. That is all I have for you all today. I appreciate you all listening. If you've made it this far, um, don't know when I'll be back. Maybe next week, maybe the week after that. I feel like we need to get an NFL podcast in there. It's been a while since we've had one of those. MLB is officially in a lockout as we predicted. So that's disappointing to see. It's not going to be much news on that front for quite a while. So not much to talk about there. Maybe some of the free agent signings, um, but college football and NFL and maybe a little bit of NBA seem to be the main talking points right now. So might get into that a little bit later, but again, thank you all for listening to this episode and uh, go blue shout out to michigan big 10 champions beat ohio state and we'll catch you all on the next episode peace out